Kill, Fuck, or Marry, The Duke, Anthony, a.k.a. Bridgerton Brother 1, and then the second brother, which is Benedict. So easy. So knowing that who you marry, you cannot fuck, right? No, you can fuck, but you spend your life with them. Oh, amazing. Hmm. Then I would... Such a complicated question. Hi, everybody. This is Marilyn, your co-host of Who Run the World, joined by our other wonderful co-host, Rhea. We are here today on an episode of Who Run the Time, a spin-off of Who Run the World, where we tell you about the things that we're doing to waste our time. And on this week's episode, something that Rhea has been wanting for the entire time since we started this podcast that she has finally been granted is an episode about something that is in pop culture at the moment. And that thing, you guessed it, is the show that is taking everybody by storm, Bridgerton. All right, Razy. So we both watched Bridgerton. How fast did it take you to go through it? I watched it in two days just because I fell asleep in front of the television because that's what I do because I'm getting old. Same Zs. For those of you who live under a rock or don't have a Netflix subscription, just a small note on what Bridgerton is. It's a streaming series, obviously, streamed at the moment on Netflix. It's produced by the amazing Shonda Rhimes. Rhea knows more facts about this woman than she knows about herself, and she will get to it in a minute. It's based on Julia Quinn's novels, and it's set in the period of Regency London during what is called the season, which is when debutantes are presented at court. Bridgerton follows the story of a, a widow, Lady Bridgerton, and her kids. She has four sons and four daughters. And uh, this first season focuses on one of the daughters, Daphne. Did you know that the Bridgerton kids were named in alphabetical order? You know, I only realized that when the last sister showed up. Yeah, so there's eight siblings. Each book looks at the love life of one of the siblings. This one, the... The center of the show is Daphne, the D sister, the D child, with her own D, the Duke. Ooh, baby, the Duke is the reason we watch this show. The Duke is the breakout star of this Netflix series. He made me want to go back to Regency London and be presented at a court and meet him and be his duchess. He made me want to not defeat the patriarchy. He made me want to be patriarchal, you know, you know. (laughs) I get it. I want to be your milkmaid and I want to prepare food for you and I want to shine your boots. Not only shine your boots, I will produce as many children as you want me to produce. You want 10? You want 12? You want a whole Brady Bunch? I'm your gal. Made a die in childbirth? I'll do it. At least you would have died happy, you know? You would have been a mother in the patriarchy, died happy. A simple life. So this is the final episode of Who Run the World, where we, <laughs> where we ascribe to the patriarchy. We are renaming the show to Who Run the Kitchen. So his name is, I guess, Regé Jean or Reggae John. I don't know how you pronounce it. Page, the Duke of Hastings. He was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in England. Luli, question for you. What did you like the most about this show? What stood out to you? Because at a glance, it's a very fun, light show. But why do you think so many people were drawn to it? Look, I think Bridgerton is what Emily in Paris could have been but isn't, which is like a lighthearted series about something we all love, 
with beautiful imagery and colors and beautiful characters and you know lighthearted drama because nothing gets too dramatic i just think like in the pandemic we don't need more drama and it's beautiful like the set the costumes the hairstyles the diff- how the different characters are dressed based on their personalities uh the music which is all like pop culture hits from now but played in like regency style violin So yeah, I think it was just like a really beautiful whimsical way of spending those 10 hours or however long it is. To echo what you're saying, I love a girl world building and Shonda Rhimes shows are known for their worlds, whether it's the Hospital of Grey's Anatomy and that whole ecosystem that she built or Bridgerton. And when you build a really good world, it really allows for escapism. And as you mentioned, in this time of a pandemic and all the shit show that is the world that's happening, it's really nice to just turn on the TV and just feel like you've been transported into a world um, that's, as you said, full of these beautiful costumes and its own politics and its own way of functioning with characters that have larger-than-life personalities. Shout out to Eloise, my favorite character. And Penelope. I have a few questions for you, Razie. Hit me. We're going to talk about Shonda Rhimes in a minute. But first, how did you feel about the portrayal of race in this show? For those of you who haven't watched it yet, what is really interesting about this show is that it is Regency London, but across all socio-economical layers of society, there are both black and white people. So from the dukes all the way to whoever's cleaning the kitchen, it's completely racially mixed. When you ask that question, I don't think you can really separate Shonda Rhimes from that question. Because if you look at all her shows, Shonda is known for her colorblind casting. Um, so she doesn't necessarily associate character to race. She's known for always hiring the best actor for the role. In this case, there was like an explicit mention about the fact that it was a biracial society in the script it's justified as because the king of england fell in love with a black woman the queen so the queen is is a black woman and actually i i read somewhere that in the book the queen is a non-existent character so that's someone they added to the show yes they mention it but it wasn't a thing yes it certainly wasn't a central theme which was kind of refreshing because it kind of put everyone on an even playing field and it allowed the characters of color to be fully formed characters and to be whoever they wanted to be. And I can see the other part of the argument where, so spoiler alert, one of the reasons the Duke's father mistreated him because he needed him to be perfect because he was just given his dukedom. And so that's why he wanted his son to be perfect. And that's why when his son was born with a stutter or had a stutter, he kind of shunned him. And the reason why was because his dukedom was quite new and he thought that people of color had just come to this position of power, of privilege. Arguably, it it could be not a people of color argument. I mean, if you had been white and you'd just gotten a dukedom, you'd say the same thing. But the way they said it's like our people were given this. I thought it was fine, but at at the same time, like I'm not a person of color. I don't know if people of color would have wanted to see more of that or that to talked about but i thought it was actually kind of refreshing and allowed the characters to be more 3d personalities yeah and i think in many ways it did something to my brain that hamilton did which is now i can no longer imagine that era without people of color and again i'm not white because i'm an arab but i can i'm white passing so to speak like you could think i'm european or whatever and it doesn't change my life 
fundamentally, but I don't know what a black person would have to say about this. But for me, at least from the point of view of my perception of the world, in the same way that Hamilton made me now see sort of the American revolution and the formation of the American state as a joint enterprise across people of race and color. This made me now imagine that period of London as a period shared by all mankind, even though it wasn't. And that's just a really beautiful switch that was flipped in my brain. And I appreciate that. And also the way the characters treated each other. The Duke, who is a black man, when he entered society, he was coveted, right? Everybody wanted him. It was such an inclusive society and the problems or, or the, the rifts between different people was more due to class and not due to color, which was quite refreshing to see. And I love, this is what, one of the reasons to bring it back to Shonda, why I love her is because she'll always choose the best actor or her team will choose the best actor to play the role. And, and famously, I think Sandra Oh, who plays Christina Yang on Grey's Anatomy is one of like the biggest discovery. Oh, she wasn't really big discovery, but that was Sandra O's breakout role. But I don't think Christina was written as an Asian American woman. But because Sandra O oh was such an amazing actress, they ended up hiring her and then she fully filled up that character. Saraya, top three facts about Shonda that you think everybody should know. Number one, I recommend for people to read her book called The Year of Yes. And this was after she reached her success with Grey's Anatomy and stuff. Her sister, on one Thanksgiving day, asked her to do something. I don't know, was it maybe to go dancing or do a gym class? I don't know what it was. And Shonda said no. And then her sister told her, oh, but you always are so negative. You always say no to things. So Shonda committed to say yes to everything presented to her. And that's how she started doing uh, speaking events. She lost a bunch of weight. She like started living her full life. So The Year of Yes, great book, recommend it. Love it, couldn't wear it. Love it, could wear it. Uh, second fact, so Shonda, during her commencement address at Dartmouth University, which I believe is her alma mater, but don't quote me on this, she told people not to be dreamers, which is a very controversial statement if you think about it. But what she did encourage the students or the graduates to be are doers because she said that if you're always dreaming of what you want to be or what you want to do, what happens is that your brain releases the endorphins as if you've already accomplished them. So you dream through the scenario, but you never really get up and do it. So her, right. her whole thing is, and that's, I guess, connected to the year of yes, is to, to get up and freaking do it. Fact number three. So I mentioned Christina Yang earlier. So the character of um, Grey's Anatomy, who is known for being ruthlessly ambitious, who's known to put her career first, who had not one but two abortions on TV. Sorry, spoiler alert for people who have not watched Grey's Anatomy. So Shonda has said or has been quoted to say that Christina Yang is the character that resembles her the most in all the shows that she's ever written, um, which I think is quite brave to say to say that, you know, she's an ambitious, not always super warm, go-getter type of woman, which you don't see portrayed every day. I mean, most women on TV, like the, the denouement of the show often ends up with them married with a child. So the fact that Christina not only had one, but two abortions and two divorces and, and her happy ending was finding her dream job in the end, kind of inspiring. Love it, Razy. You a Shonda geek, I see. I started watching Grey's Anatomy in 2005 when I was 14. So Shonda's been around for a little while now in my life. All right, and now let's do another kind of top three. 
top three scenes of Bridgerton. Scenes? I thought you were going to say and characters. They cannot, they cannot all be Duke, whatever his name, Hastings ass. Okay, so actually, fun fact for you, last night at dinner, um, I was with a group of people who watched Bridgerton, and I did a Kill Fucker Mary. Ooh, love it! With We'll get to your scene question in a second, but before that, Kill Fucker Mary, the Duke... Anthony, a.k.a. Bridgerton brother one, and then the second brother, which is Benedict. So easy. I would kill the eldest brother. So knowing that who you marry, you cannot fuck, right? No, you can fuck, but you spend your life with them. Oh, amazing. Hmm. Then I would... Such a complicated question. You know, I would, uh, I would marry the Duke and I would fuck the brother, the other brother. I would kill the eldest brother... I would actually fuck the Duke and I would marry the second brother because I feel like he's so fun. Yeah, I know. But so's the Duke, by the way. Outside of his short drama moment, which, by the way, I find that he's so good at dealing with drama and getting over himself, which is a great quality in a partner. Sarah. I just felt he's too brooding. He is in this particular moment of his life. But before that, he used to be like a super fun college, whatever that Anthony went to college with. And after this, no doubt, he's also going to go back to being the playful persona that we met him as. Just because he, we meet him at this moment where he's dealing with the hardest thing that's ever happened to him. But look how quickly he like recovers. He's like, I know I kind of made this vow to my dying father that I would do this, this and that. But I'm about to change my mind. I'm, I'm going to be zen about it. Rhea, you are not married. One day, inshallah, you know, you will be or you won't be, whatever you want. But the ability of a partner to walk away from like a vow they did, that's pretty huge. Compared to, yes, I understand that the middle brother is like fun and libertarian and goes to orgies and likes to draw naked women. But he hasn't shown me like marriage material. First of all, I would love to have a husband who will draw me like one of his French girls. Number two, I like a good joke. I like whimsical people. I like funny people. Benedict is that for me and he has his like boyish sly look which is great and third of all the duke just he seemed like a complicated guy like yes he'll get over stuff but he has drama in his mind and if it wasn't for daphne who like dragged it out of him he might have still been in that drama that's great that's why you know we're great wing women to each other because we don't want the same boy. exactly i saw a quote that actually i believe that reggae john or whatever his name is my baby, uh, he said in an interview with NPR, and I found it beautiful. So I guess they must have asked him about how did he feel about the relationship of his character with Daphne in the show. And he says, it reminds me of every relationship I've ever had, figuring out how to make both people protagonists and how that needs compromise. See, I would kill everyone and marry the actor. And that does not you. require time travel. What a guy. I know. And I found that to be such a profound insight actually about the show because it actually allows for both of them to be protagonists. One character does not develop at the expense of the other. And that's also super interesting. My only kind of, of course, I'm saying this in every girl on the planet and every boy who likes boys on the planet that's going to get upset at me. I think that there were way too many fucking sex scenes that added fucking nothing to the story. I agree with you. I think sometimes the episodes were a bit too long. It doesn't need to be 59 minutes. Like we can cut three sex scenes and make it 
45. There were for know? sure a lot of gratuitous gr- sex scenes. They were for color. And I think also the creators probably knew that they had a very hot individual on their hands. And so they, <laughs> they um, monetized that shit as much as they can. And listen, I Look, support it. If they got him to sign a contract where, you know, they could have free sex scenes. Seeing his butt on the screen, fantastic. But I do agree with you in terms of story and plot and kind of moving things along. It did not do that but there it served other purposes it served other purposes there is one sex scene though that i think is worth discussing so she's discovered that he can have kids he just doesn't wanna and she entraps him quote unquote during yeah. sex now we know from having googled this a bit that the way it's described in the book and the way it's described in the show are slightly different how are they different from one another so in the book the way the scene is portrayed it almost or it does sound like she takes advantage of him, kind of rapes him. She gets him super intoxicated and then basically forces him to have sex with her. Whereas in the TV show, he's not drunk. They're like fully consenting individuals. And what she does to kind of make sure that he doesn't pull out is that she mounts him. So she's now on the top. A lot of reviewers or people who read the book were wondering or were waiting for that particular scene to see that how they were going to portray it, especially that there is not very common to see men being the ones violated on screen or in popular culture. So I guess what they ended up doing is they went around that. I guess I understand why they did that because it kind of keeps Daphne as a character that you can root for. And it also to have that uh, the quote of both of them being protagonists i think having one of the the characters or the main characters of a love story being a violator would be a bit complicated to to keep uh, the audience rooting for her i mean do you perceive it as less of a violation what she did did you say oh that's okay or did you say ooh no i what i did think was she but also he was lying to her right like he didn't tell her how to make kids and then he kept pulling out and then it's not like he didn't want to have sex at all right Right, but he he was lying to her but she physically abused him quote-unquote in that sense do you think she abused him in the show yeah i mean that's what i was gonna say is i don't feel like what she did is any less reprehensible than how it's described in the book it was wrong but it's a different type of violation he, w- he went in consenting to the sex. Of course, every time is, is a moment for, for having consensual or not. You can be married and never want to have sex again. But what I mean by that is like, yeah, no. I mean, he was doing her anyways. We understand that. It's just that she followed his deception with another one. And hers was a little bit worse because you could argue that his was a choice of words, right? So he said, I can't have children when he should have said, I don't want to. And yes. That's reprehensible. But I don't think that that trick of like, was he, you know, drunk or not? And was she on top or not really changed that she did. And, and what I want to say actually is that I would still root for her because couples are complicated and we do ugly things all the time and we can't help ourselves and humans are destructive and self-destructive and, and, We don't always act with sort of the full rationality or maturity that we wish that we do. And I think that's okay as long as 
couples can find a way back from those ugly places, right? And I think that's really interesting to me, as opposed to, oh, she she's meant to stay like pristine and pure. I agree with that in terms of the scene in the television show. What she did was a bit more gray and a bit more morally debatable. However, I wonder if the gender roles were reversed and the husband raped his wife because he wanted to have a child, would we be having the same discussion? You're making my point for me is that what she did was no less bad in the TV show than it was in the book. Drunk or not drunk, it was rape to some degree, or at least it was raping some aspect of someone's physicality. In this case, forcing him to give away his semen. Question, question. I don't remember this, and I guess we might have to rewatch the episode. But in that scene, did he try to get away and pull out? He, he kind of said, what are you doing? Or he was kind of like, he was confused about... Like, I it, don't it, remember, yeah. It was clear that he wasn't happy, but it was too late. Now, that thing with the too late, that's really cute. Oh, really? You think that's how boys work? It's not just about the mechanics. And if someone was, was really confused about a situation, like, would he have come or not? Like, that's a big debate, but it's cute. I mean, it's a... It's a like teenage thing and I guess things are a bit simplified. That's why in the book, where the book actually looks at it, it truthfully, it would be a bit more complicated. But okay, let's say. Let's say that it's that simple. But he does clearly show that he's uncomfortable with what's happening and she doesn't stop. I think they did soften it a bit on the TV show. Because yes, not everyone has the wherewithal that you have to, to, to be like, okay, maybe they're 3D characters. Okay, we're still going to be rooting for her. Okay, this and that. And again, I think if, if the roles were reversed and a, and a husband like raped his wife, that would not be okay. And just because this is not something common, like I still don't think like rape and violating others is just not okay, period. Yeah, and and that's exactly, I think, sort of the, the point is that having softened it is just because they want us to keep liking the character. And because it's a woman, it makes it somewhat like less, quote unquote, violent, but it really isn't. For me, it was just a beautiful testament to how complex human relationships are. And thankfully, you know, there's no big consequences to her act except pressure to their relationship and, and a wound that they need to kind of work on. But the truth is that in couples and in, in relationships, you often do complicated things. We're not that simple. Crazy. Wrap it up. Maybe not your top three scenes, maybe like one or two, but wrap it up with, you know, what, what moments did you particularly love? I really enjoyed when Eloise would be outside like smoking a cigarette and then her brother would come out. They're both, you know, the second daughter, the second son. So they're not the firstborn. So they don't have as much pressure as their older siblings. And so they have more of this liberty to explore who they want to be. And with that liberty, they both are in a crisis of oh, I have more room to figure out what I want to be, but wait, now that I have more choices, what is it actually that I want to be? So, they, so you have these two siblings, these two spares, as you may call them, sitting outside smoking cigarettes and dreaming of the different things that they could be. What about you? I mean, I always like a good, um, a good kick-ass scene. I just love when she punched that dude who was supposed to marry her. It was just like, yes! You know, I was just like, go kick his fucking ass, it's it sounds silly. I a lot of the scenes that I love are actually the um, the banter between uh, Daphne and the Duke in the early days of their relationship when they're pretending to be into each other. 
Um, I just love me a good banter. I love, you know, instant like connections that are just working as a friend. I love them too. Like it's not just a romantic uh, thing. And I just love seeing two characters that connect like just so seamlessly. It gives me pure joy. I have another scene that I like. Which one? When Daphne goes to the married woman, they're playing cards and they're having their party and they're having their own debauchery because a lot of times on TV, they portray the men's club where they're smoking their cigars and the, and the prostitutes show up and all these things. Whereas them, it's like, I'm like oh my God, I want to be there. I want to go play cards and gossip and talk and have my own debauchery. I think that was such a fun, regalious moment. Completely love that scene. I agree with you. Couldn't agree more. Razy. On that note, you love good banter, and it's time for this banter to wrap it up. Mm -mm. Uh, Rhea, for those of us who have binge watched Bridgerton and need us some like new joy in our lives, what's your one show recommendation at the moment? I'm actually looking for something to watch. I'm in the same position as everyone else. But if you want me to give you a throwback recommendation, I'll give you two by the same creator that kind of creates the same feeling inside of me. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a world. Banter. Cool characters. Makes you think. And if you want to go even back in time, I would recommend Gilmore Girls. It's seven seasons. It's a lot of content. So it'll fill your time even more. One is on Netflix. One is on Amazon Prime. Total recommendation. Also, season one of Gossip Girl reminds me a lot of Bridgerton. That's very true. I'm currently watching, if you do speak French, I'm currently watching a series called Lupin. Named after, of course, the gentleman cambrioleur Arsène Lupin. And it's pretty cool because uh, in this case, I won't tell you. Just watch it. Nice cliffhanger. All right, everybody. Uh, We hope you did enjoy our pop culture moment. Uh, Rhea certainly did. She's dancing away. Thank you so much for following us. As always, if you don't already do that, please follow us on Instagram at Who Run The World Pod. If you would like to send us recommendations or share with us your favorite character or scene from Bridgerton, please feel free to email us at sayhi at whorunthewordpodcast.com. Also, leave us a review if you like us. Also, if you like these kinds of episodes and want us to do more and you want us to watch a particular show and give our opinion, our unsolicited opinion, let us know. I would love it. Luli would love it. We would all love it. Absolutely. We hope you have a beautiful, colorful week. And we look forward to seeing you again next Wednesday uh, on our upcoming episode. Which Bridgerton do you think I am? This shit, this is hard. You're definitely a combination of, I think, Eloise and Penelope. Nice. I think you are a combination of the Duke. (gasps) Mm -hmm. I love that. And Mrs. Bridgerton the mom yeah you're a leader and you can be brooding i would throw in by the way the middle brother for you because i think that like that aspect of like self-discovery and like skipping into things and being light-hearted about them eloise and penelope take everything a little too fucking seriously for them to just be you right so throwing in that middle brother actually i think works thank you so you're saying i would marry myself thank you on this note au revoir everybody (laughs) 